morning, everyone. Happy 4th of July. And it always feels like, is that a mass part? You know, the responses are weird and homilies. Um, so today, it's your lucky day. Today is a two-for-one Sunday. So you got two homilies today. Don't get too excited. Here we go. Um, no, today I do, though, before we jump into our main theme, I just have to, I feel like it's been a while since a Sunday has had a reading with the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And I just want to touch on that, because our faith teaches that Mary was a virgin her whole life. And when I was in the pews, when priests would just kind of ignore things that drove me crazy, I always just wanted them to say something, so I want to touch on that briefly. So, really quick. Uh, our faith teaches that Mary was a virgin not just for the birth of Christ, but her whole life. And it seems so odd today, here in Nazareth, uh, in Mark chapter 6, right? They say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. The, the Greek word is they were scandalized by him. Anyway, how can we think this? How can we think Mary's a virgin her whole life? Really quick navigation of this problem. The first thing is that the Greek word used here, and you all know it, all you have to do is think about Philadelphia, right? So Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Philos is one word for love in Greek. Adelphos is brother. Adelphe is sister. And here's all that's going on here, is that that word primarily means brother or sister. But it's used even in the New Testament, and all throughout ancient Greek, it's used by extension for cousins, aunts and uncles, and nieces and nephews, and even people like second cousins. So even though the word in its pure sense means brother or sister, it is used rather freely to refer to any family member. Okay, that's one thing. The second thing, uh, in John 19, when Jesus dies on the cross, he gives Mary to John the Apostle. Jesus' culture was a much stronger family culture than ours. The thought that he would give Mary to John is unthinkable. I had a, uh, a young man who entered the church with me uh, at my last church at RCIA. And he was studying to be a Protestant pastor. He was brilliant. He was the National Hebrew Student of the Year in the United States one year. Converted to Catholicism, but when I told him that, I said, remember John 19? Where Jesus gives Mary to John. And he was like, I have read that passage a million times. And that has never crossed my mind. And I was like, mind blown, right? <laughs> and it was. He was blown away by that. He's like, that's a really good argument. Okay, finally, here's the, the kind of the nail in the coffin. The early church, many of the early church fathers spoke Greek as their first language. So the New Testament's written in Greek. Most of them knew scripture far better than anyone alive today. And they read it in their first language, they knew all of these passages. It's very rare that you can say of the early church that they had 100% agreement on something. 
The early church has 100% agreement that Mary was a virgin her whole life. These are incredibly strong arguments. Okay, the second part of this really briefly, who cares? Okay, whatever, FB, Mary's a virgin. So are you, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> you guys like that one. <laughs> why does it matter? Here's why it matters. Here's why we actually care about this. Go home and read 1 Corinthians 7. What St. Paul will tell you in 1 Corinthians 7, and what Catholicism has believed from day one, the reason Mary is a virgin and the reason it matters, the reason Jesus is a virgin and it matters, is that the church teaches that virginity is the physical manifestation of a life that is completely, 100% given to God. The reason it matters that Mary is a virgin is that Mary is the perfect image of our church. What theologians call the archetype of the church. Mary tells us what the Catholic church is. And Mary's love for Christ is not one love among others. Jesus is not one of her children She's not one part, he's not one part of her life. Jesus is Mary's everything. And so the fathers say finally today for the end of homily number one is that you are virginal as well. And the fathers of the church will say that every Catholic is virginal in the sense that even though you might be married and called to that life, that's totally legitimate and fine. You are called to have one God whom you worship and whom your heart is wholly given over to. The Catholic Church does not have other loves apart from him, and neither does Mary. Love that. Super beautiful. And that's, brothers and sisters, why it matters that Mary is a virgin. Okay. You ready for homily number two? Okay, this means yes, this means no. Okay, you guys have gotten rusty. Today's gospel is super profound. And it's one of those Sundays where I need you, I need you to be engaged spiritually this morning. I need you to be awake, and I need you to open your heart, and I need you to... to contemplate the mystery with us, with me, that's before us today. So uh, today's gospel, what I want to talk to you about is the beautiful thing, the beautiful reality of perception. The reality of contemplation. Contemplation, right, contemplation does not mean to think. Contemplation means to see. And one of my favorite philosophers, a Catholic philosopher, Joseph Pieper, Pieper says that the definition of contemplation is to see with love. To see with love. One of our parishioners, who is a professor of mine in seminary, the way he would explain this is when his daughter came into a room. Right? And all of us, if Rachel, and Rachel goes to Mass here, when you see Rachel, we would all see her. We would all see the same person. 
but her father sees her in a deeper way than you and I do because he loves her. And so as, his fa- as her father, Terry has an insight into the mystery of who she is that you and I don't. That's what contemplation is. Contemplation is when we're able to see something because the eyes of our heart and our soul have been opened to some sort of reality. Okay, so quick story. Uh, if you've been at Lord's Long, you've heard me tell some stories about Rich Mullins. So Rich Mullins uh, is someone I just love. Uh, his life is amazing. He had his sins, he had his failings. But he was someone who loved God radically. Rich Mullins is kind of, he's most famous uh, for his horrible, horrible song, Our God is an Awesome God. I almost said awful. (laughs) And that song is an awful song, and I hate it with a perfect hate. Um, But I love a lot of the rest of his music. Uh, Rich Mullins was in RCIA when he died in a car crash, um, and he was just an amazing man. But there's this wonderful story about Rich that I think helps us understand what's happening in the gospel today. So Rich, at the height of his career, he was a, a, a... you know, popular name in America. And at the height of his career, he was on fire with love for God. And what he did is he he turned everything over to his financial advisor. And he said, I want to make a salary of whatever the average person in America earns. And I want you to give everything else to Christian charities. Um, He left all that behind and he went... And he lived on Native American reservations and taught music to kids. Sounds amazing. I love that. But anyway, famous story was that one of his songs he wrote is a song called Sing Your Praise to the Lord. And he wrote that song, but Amy Grant took it and she made it this big hit. And so one day Rich is away from the world and he's in the middle, I think he was in Oklahoma, But he's kind of in the middle of nowhere, and he needs to get to town, and he didn't have a car. And so he's walking on this kind of remote rural road, and he was hitchhiking into town. And so he's hitchhiking, and this truck comes by and picks him up. And so Rich jumps in, and sure enough, Sing Your Praise to the Lord comes on the radio, and Amy Grant's singing it. And the trucker loved that song. So he turns up the volume. He says, oh, I just love this song. This is my favorite song. And Rich looked at him and said, thank you. I wrote it. At which point the trucker was confident he had an absolute nutcase in his front seat. And what I love about that story is Rich never explained it. He just had this kind of childlike freedom. Today's gospel is a little bit like that. What happened in that that story is that Rich Mullins loved humility. He didn't need fanfare. He didn't need to be flashy. 
Um, but the trucker that day, right, did not perceive who he was because it wasn't immediately obvious. Brothers and sisters, this is what the Christian mystery is about. The Christian mystery, the heart of our faith, the deepest mystery of all mysteries is the incarnation. And one of the things you and I do is we we think we need these amazing experiences to find God. Where is God in my life? Why isn't he speaking? Father Brian Why don't I hear Jesus' voice in my life? Brothers and sisters, God is everywhere. And he loves to hide himself under the veil of human things. So Origen, Origen says this. In our time, right, if someone talks to you and they say, if we're going to talk about our faith, we have certain hard teachings, right? And, and most of us today, if someone said, what's the hardest thing to believe in Catholicism? Our culture tends to think it's things around family and sexuality, these kinds of things today. Here's what Origen says. He says, among all the miracles and marvels that concern Jesus, one especially exceeds the capacity of the human mind. There's one thing about Jesus that goes beyond anything we can imagine. Filling our minds with wonderment. The fragility of our intelligence cannot succeed in understanding or even intuiting what faith knows. So our minds, there's something beyond what we can understand. And what is he talking about? Namely... How the unsurpassable power of the divine majesty, the very word of the Father, the wisdom of God, through whom all things visible and invisible were created, should have come to be contained in that man who appeared in Judea. How the wisdom of God should have entered the womb of a virgin. What Jesus did when he became man is he took something that is beyond our capacity to understand, the eternal mystery of the Son of God was hidden in a human being, in a human nature. That's what's happening today in our gospel. One more line from from this book. This is from a scholar named Merikakis, your favorite and mine. Mary Cocky says this. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> the passage stresses. Mary Cocky is talking. I love that. He's talking about today's gospel. And he says, This passage stresses in every way the utter humanity of Jesus, his belonging to a specific place, people, family, and time. His being rooted in every physical, cultural, and religious respect conceivable. Now hear this. This is the key part of this quote. And I love this. Jesus must have spoken Aramaic with a Nazarene accent. I love that. 
Jesus had an accent, right? It's amazing. He wore Nazarene clothes. He favored specialties of Nazarene cuisine. He belonged so decidedly to Nazareth that the Nazarenes, with too ethereal an idea of the Messiah, had to reject him as savior of the world. God shows up sometimes when we don't expect him to. As Christians sometimes, brothers and sisters, we think that for God to speak into my life, it has to look a certain way. You don't expect him to show up the way he did in Nazareth. One beautiful thing in Matthew's version of this gospel story, there's actually the Aramaic name of Mary, which is Miriam, which is Moses, the name of Moses' sister. But, the, but in, Mark's, or in Matthew's gospel, they remember not just the Greek version, but the actual name of the mother of God. love that. But here's what I want to get you to today. To be a Christian is to perceive something. Faith means that you and I can see below the surface. That we can perceive God in all of his disguises. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you become a contemplative. And a contemplative, right, what that means is it means someone who has eyes to look at the world around them with gratitude, with love, and with amazement. Right, it's those times where you can forget about your inbox and what you have to do today after Mass and politics and your neighbors and whatever else is out there. And you walk outside and you remember again how magical it is that grass grows in our world. C.S. Lewis says, by the way, another, another instance of this, he says, you've never met a normal person in your life. The person sitting next to you in the pew has an immortal soul. And if you could see them right now as they will be after the resurrection, C.S. Lewis says you would be tempted to bow down and worship them. Faith is about perception. It's about seeing beneath the surface of things. And so finally today, with this profound mystery, right, where God shows up and cloaks himself in the things of this world, I want to leave you with this today. Our sanctuary, in case you've forgotten what that means, right, at verbum caro factum est, that's Latin, and it's the Latin of the first part of John 1.14. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh, which is where that ends. Caro is flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. You and I have to learn how to see God who becomes flesh in our midst. 
We have to learn how to do that. It happens in the Eucharist, right? Today, God will disguise himself under the forms of bread and wine. Mother Teresa, right, loved to say that God's most distressing disguise was the poor, that he hides himself in the poor. The scripture is the same way. If you read scripture and you just read it quickly without faith, without perception, it'll just be a bunch of words. But for those who have faith, scripture is the very word of God clothed in human words. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word there actually means he pitched his tent with us. And so finally today, brothers and sisters, what God wants to do is not just pitch his tent in our midst. He wants to enter into you and your life itself. God enters into our lives and into our very bodies in the sacraments. If you're going to see that, you've got to be contemplative. Right? You can't be like those in Nazareth today who could not see. And so I encourage you this week, it's great practice. You want to cultivate it? You have to be silent. You have to find space in your life for silence. Your heart has to open to see things more than just at the surface level. And you have to learn how to see with love. So Jesus, today, Lord, give us faith. Give us sight. Jesus, give us the joy today to know that you truly, the eternal Son of God, that you have pitched your tent among us.